This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Is there like an EGOT group chat? There is not one. There is not. Is there like a meeting? Like, do y'all go to Switzerland every year? Like, what's what's the secret? We don't, we don't have any bonding activities. I feel like Jennifer should try to convene it now that she has her talk show. Oh. <laughs> You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce, and today we're talking to an EGOT winner. Someone who's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And it wouldn't be too hard to organize a group chat with all the EGOT winners because there just aren't that many of them. But one of them, the one I'm talking to today, is a legend. John Legend, welcome to It's Been a Minute. It's so great to have you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. What would I do without your smart mouth? John Legend has permeated the culture for over 20 years. His music has racked up billions of plays. He's collaborated with the heaviest hitters. And he and his wife have brought us into some of their happiest and most vulnerable moments as a family. And for someone that's this famous, it can feel like their fame is inevitable. So we're going to start today by bringing you back to a moment when John Stevens had just become John Legend. You know, through researching and preparing to talk to you today, one of our producers, Corey Antonio, found an interview where you said the day you found out you were famous was because you were called by two people. Yeah. You were called once by Magic Johnson, once by Oprah Winfrey, to ask you to perform at events of theirs. The thing that's been in the back of my mind, though, since I learned that fact, Uh is like, was that the phone call that, like, got you to the Legends Ball. Did Oprah call you that day to invite you to perform at the Legends Ball? Yes. And I don't know where you're based, but you got to come see my solo show because I tell the whole story of how I became John Legend. And then I kind of button it with, and when Oprah called, she was planning the Legends Ball. And there's no way that she would have invited John Stevens to play the Legends Ball. (laughs) It's a... Good thing that I had changed my name to John Legend because that got me that gig for sure. I'm I'm certain of it. Oh, that's manifestation as finest. Wait, so okay, so uh, thank you first of all for answering that question because that you have brought peace and joy to my soul. Hello, everyone. I'm standing on my front lawn where a little over a year ago I was inspired to create a celebration. I am obsessed with The Legends Ball, the three-day jamboree wherein Oprah held a garden party, a white-tie dinner, and a gospel brunch honoring 25 of the most influential Black women of all time. Dion, can you take us down that one? I'm changed. Attendees range from Diana Ross to Toni Morrison to Missy Elliott. And John had a front row seat. From this day, we won't walk the same. We gonna walk taller. We gonna think higher. We gonna be better. 
It was an event uh, worldwide. <laughs> I wonder what, like, what was it like to be there on the day? Because you performed during like there's this special like garden party ladies luncheon that was like on Oprah's yeah. grounds, where she gifted each of the women diamond earrings. Like I'm just, what happened to you on that day? Like that must have been mind blowing. You have to imagine the scene. You have like literally. Every black woman that you can imagine in pop culture, whether it was Maya Angelou, Janet Jackson, right. Whitney was there, Tina Turner, yep. Angela Bassett. Naomi Campbell. So you have, <laughs> yes. Like, you have everybody. And Oprah brought them all together. And I'm singing Ordinary People. Boy, I'm in love with you. This ain't the honeymoon. We pass the infatuation phase. And I see them mouthing the lyrics. I'm like, these women know my song. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're ordinary people. Baby, we should take it slow. And this is literally six months after my album came out. So this is not like, oh my I'm, not, gosh. I'm not like deep into being a, a known person. Right. This is mind blowing for me. Yeah, Oprah made it all happen. Wow. I can honestly only imagine. I mean, and also, like, I mean, sorry, Oprah, but I do I do rewatch Legends Ball from time to time, pirated on YouTube. Uh-huh. So <laughs> <laughs> coming up, the formation of a legend. And what keeps bringing him back to the Ivory Keys? You talked before about how you kind of missed the 80s culturally, uh, that you come from an upbringing where popular culture wasn't always allowed or what was popping in your household. (laughs) And and you kind of uh, came of cultural age during the 90s. Um, The 90s is such a specific time in Black music, like R&B and rap were fusing and soul was taking root. How did those sounds influence your own approach to music? And is there any particular piece of music that you remember from that time that really had a profound effect on you? I was in Philadelphia when Jill Scott was just, you know, somebody singing at open mic nights. You love me Especially Different didn't have a record deal yet. And right. uh, Jasmine Sullivan was a teenager uh, singing at these same venues. And the Roots were hosting something called Black Lily. Um, it was just such an amazing place to be. I think the most influential album to me during that time was the Miseducation um, album. But it's crazy because I I was actually part of that album, too. So it's weird saying that as a fan, but also as a participant, I play piano on on Everything is Everything. I met Lauren through a a friend of mine that had grown up with her who actually went to the church. I was uh, directing the choir at the AME Church up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So I I met her through that uh, friend, I got to hang out in the studio with them one night and they were working on Everything is Everything and I ended up playing piano on that track. But I feel like that album really just showed us the possibilities of black music in that moment, um, Mm. of how soul and hip hop and reggae and and all of these musics that are, you know, inform what constitutes black music could be kind of brought together. 
I think that album probably was the most important album to me during that period of my life when I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be as an artist and what I wanted to create. You've said in a past interview that Legend, your most recent album, is one of the most, to quote you, adventurous and creative projects that you've had over the years. What's a what's a lyric or moment in the album that really like encapsulates that for you? Like this the the sort of creative energy and approach that you took to making it. My son is really in love with I Don't Love You Like I Used To. And so he'll have me play it for him like literally all the time. I don't love you like I used to. I don't love you just the same. No, I couldn't pretend Be a liar if I said we haven't changed Every day when I'm taking him to school, he, that's his first request. And what I love about that song is the idea of growth in a relationship. You have real trauma, you have real challenges. Uh, we've gone through lost pregnancies. We've gone through uh, losing family members. It means your relationship's been kind of tested and forged and... Uh, I love that song because I feel like it tells an important story about where I am in my relationship. We're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary. and Congratulations. Thank you. Mm, it's so lovely, too, that your son loves it so much that it's perfect. It's like a full circle. Because after all the years with you, I don't love you like I used to. I love you so much more with every day. Well, we've been talking about your, I guess, penultimate new album, Legend, which came out in mm -hmm. September. But mm -hmm. you have this fire solo piano version of the album that just came out in February. You said that the previous album was one of the most adventurous projects you've done. But, you know, as you mentioned, with the solo piano version, you've really boiled it down to its most elemental. It was really interesting to listen to both of them and hear your voice in these songs in their rawest form. It almost feels like a return to form for you when I when I think about when you first really burst on the scene, like at yeah. this point, about 20 years ago. It was you and, and that piano. So I, yeah. I wonder, what keeps you coming back to projects that are just you and these ivory keys? Well, it's interesting because if anybody followed my career prior to me getting a record deal, I had a um, solo sessions live at the Knitting Factory. That was like the first solo recording I did, but I always would come back to that solo piano look because there was something special and intimate and cool about it. But since that solo sessions indie version of, of John Stevens, uh, I think it was back then, uh, I may have been John Legend by then, but I'm not sure. But since that, I've never done like a full solo uh, recording before. And when I signed with Republic and we had we're getting near the end of uh, finishing making the double album Legend. My uh, label president, Wendy Goldstein, was like, why don't you do a solo version of this? People would love that. And mm -hmm. I think it was around the time when Taylor was doing like new versions of some of her old projects. Right, 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 and, right, right. And she's at Republic as well. And and I think Wendy loved that idea for me because she she just thought it would be a cool way for people to interpret these songs and to hear these songs. And then thinking about you know, which songs I wanted to stick fairly close to the original version and which ones I wanted to deviate, um, you know, quite significantly from the original version. Like the song Honey. Honey, honey makes the world go round, the world go round. 
I really did deviate from the original quite a bit and right. slowed it slowed it down, made it more of kind of like a jazz kind of vibe. Honey, honey makes the world go round, world go round. I loved it. I loved doing it. I loved just playing with it and and experimenting and figuring out where um, I could take that song. And then I loved it so much that I made it the you know track number one on the album as like the entryway into my into this you know uh, this right. kind of intimate lounge experience uh, with this album. You've had obviously a a very prominent and long career, and and especially on Legend, um, you had a lot of collaborations with artists mm-hmm. who are. Maybe a little bit earlier in their careers, like Saweetie, Jasmine Sullivan, mm-hmm. who you brought up, Mooney Long. Mm-hmm. What was it like collaborating with artists who were likely influenced by you? Yeah, it's always weird because it's like it makes me feel a little bit old because they're like, I grew up on you. <laughs> My mom loves you. <laughs> but, you know, I, I meet art, you know, I. But we've got to be grateful for that kind of uh, longevity that Mm -hmm. you're around long enough to be able to work with people who grew up listening to you. (laughs) Interestingly enough, you played Jesus Christ in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar live Mm -hmm. in 2018. Phenomenal performance. Thank Um, you. And you've also talked about, you know, over the years, growing up in the Pentecostal church and and eventually stepping away from some mm-hmm. of the more conservative parts of church culture. What was it like stepping into Jesus's shoes on a global <laughs> stage, given given your your relationship or your changing relationship to the church? Well, I did feel very connected to the material because I grew up in a house that was all about Jesus all the time. Mm. I grew up with lots of preachers in the family. And there's a lot of thematic things that make it a little more secular in some ways. And eventually it made me really give a passionate performance that was really like um, stretching me a bit, you know, because I had never done anything like that before. Never had to lead even in high school musicals. Uh, So having a lead and like on national television with all these wonderful Broadway actors. And it was it was quite a quite a uh, challenge for me, but I love doing it. It was really fulfilling. I can't bring this up without mentioning that Jesus Christ Superstar actually helped you achieve EGOT status. And not only did I win it, but Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice won uh, an Emmy that night. And they became EGOTs at the same time that I did because... It's like a triple crown. Yeah, we we (laughs) all needed an Emmy and we all got it at exactly the same moment. Wow. I mean, and and also, I mean... A cherry on top. This this made you the first black man to win a competitive EGOT. Yes. Well, staying on this topic, if you're down, I want to play a little game. Okay. Um, okay. The title of the game is called, and I, I wish I could take credit for this, but this was something that came from one of our producers, Liam. Um, he gotta be kidding me. He gotta be kidding me. He gotta be kidding me. Are uh-huh. Are you willing? Are you willing to to stick around for a couple rounds? Let's do it. Coming up. A legendary game for John Legend. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I am here with notable EGOT winner, John Legend. We are playing a game called You Gotta Be Kidding Me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so the way this game works is I'm going to read a fun fact about a fellow EGOT winner, and you have to guess who it is. Are you ready? Oh, man. That's going to be rough. Okay. Okay, first one. This EGOTer's middle name is Delight. Who is it? Oh, Delight. I know that. Oh. Oh, no, maybe I don't know that. Is it Jennifer? No. <laughs> But it is somebody that that we know that you have a huge appreciation for, Quincy Jones. Quincy Delight Jones. I did know that Quincy's middle name was Delight, but I didn't. it didn't occur to me because I didn't know if we were including only the 18 competitive EGOT winners. I take responsibility for not being clear. <laughs> <laughs> Quincy is like my homie, too. Like, uh, he calls me his little brother because I look just like his brother. He's wow. like been to our wedding. I've been to his house many times. Uh, he's a good friend. Please, Mr. Quincy, forgive us. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't even like talking about the technicality that he's not an official EGOT. It's not something that I, I will discuss with him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So Quincy Delight Jones is the answer to the first one. There's more chances to be had. Okay. Okay. Second question. This EGOT winner worked on a Disney cruise before her rise to fame. Mm. And also, if you want, I'll, I'll give you a hint since I, since I flubbed the first one. Is this person a, mainly a singer or an, mainly an actor? What'd you say? They've done both. They've uh, done both. And they have really been great at both. Oh, so maybe this one is Jennifer then. You got it. Jennifer Hudson, when she was working on this Disney cruise, she left her greatest impression on guests during performances in shows themed to Hercules and the Lion King. Oh. Um, yes. Uh, to quote <laughs> to quote somebody else, uh, when she sang The Circle of Life, it literally stopped the show. Oh, my God. I believe that. More to do than can ever be done in the circle. She was told that if she wanted to advance her career, that she had to get on television. And, and here we are. Here we are. She went here to American we Idol. She didn't win American Idol, but enough people saw her. And then she, uh, her talent could not be denied. Could not be denied. All right. Yes. Another one. This EGOTer has a mall beneath their house. Who is this? A mall beneath their house? That means they probably live in like a city. Like on a, in a high rise? Or their own private mall, I think, to be more specific. They have their own private mall in their house. There's no cash registers because it's their mall, so they don't have to pay for anything. Oh, my Lord. What kind of life is this? I have no idea. I can't even process who it might be. It's Babs. It's Barbara Streisand. Oh, Barbara. Yeah, yes. She's, she's, she's loaded. <laughs> 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 What does that even mean to have a mall in your... I wish there was like a, another way that I could explain it other than exactly what it is. Other, she has a mall <laughs> beneath her house. So there's like stores where there's there, like merchandise, there are em- no registers. Employees? I don't know. Now, that part, I have to fact check. I'm not sure if there's employees, but I know that there's a frozen yogurt. Does store. she own all the merchandise? I believe she owns all the merchandise. That's why there's no registers because she doesn't have to pay. That just sounds like a really beautiful big closet. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did a duet with uh, Barbara on on one of her duets album produced by Babyface. I mean, so that was a, pretty cool. Now, for me, that's a triple crown right there. Really, Barbara <laughs> and you know, actually, uh, Ryan Murphy has spoken um, about going to Barbara's indoor mall. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, he went over her house and um, had dinner with John Travolta, Kelly Preston, Lady Gaga, and after dinner, she was just like, "Do you want to see the mall?" And he said that <laughs> he and Lady Gaga were out of that chair so fast. They went down there for like an uh, hour. I need to she get gave an frozen yogurt. I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like 23 is your year. I feel like 23 is your year. I need to get an invite. She, she sends me a holiday greeting every year, ever since I did the album. Uh, but I want an invite to the house. You have to get invited to her <laughs> I want this for you so bad. I want it for you more than I want it for myself. <laughs> I got one last one. Uh-huh. Um, this EGOT winner used to be a phone sex operator. Oh, I think that was Whoopi. Was that Whoopi? Look at you. You got another one. It was, in fact, Whoopi Goldberg. Uh-huh. It was, in fact, Whoopi Goldberg. All right. Well, look at you. you now you got, you, you got two out of four. And I think that's Not terrible. Not, Not terrible. terrible. Not terrible. Yes. Not terrible. Thank you so much for playing, John Legend. You gotta be kidding you me. You gotta be kidding me. Well, John Legend, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This was so much fun. My pleasure. This was great. I had a lot of fun. That was EGOT winner John Legend. Do you know anyone who loves John Legend or anyone trying to win an EGOT? Well, share this episode with them. It would probably bring your friend delight and it would help us out a lot. This episode was produced by Jamal Michelle, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose, Jessica Mendoza, and Barton Girdwood. It was edited by Jessica Plachek. I'm Brittany Luce, and we'll be back Friday with another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.